It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Jimmy Fallon. I'm Rachel Campos Duffy. I'm Will Kane, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. He's the Republican front-runner by far, trying to become our president again. But one of his challengers tells us... I don't see Donald Trump as winning the nomination, even though he's in the lead right now. He's a flawed candidate. We speak with 2024 Republican candidate Asa Hutchinson. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. If you run a company and you have diversity and inclusion policies, should you revisit them after the Supreme Court's affirmative action ruling? Some employment attorneys say, yes, you should. I do believe that what they're saying in the court, Justice Roberts and Gorsuch and the general sentiment is to ultimately extend the principle of this ruling about race-based decision-making to private employers. And I'm David Marcus. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Is it inevitable that former President Trump will be the Republican nominee in 2024? He thinks so. And we're going to win that election in numbers the likes of which I think nobody has ever seen before. I see it. Uh, the, the level of support that we've had, the level of of absolute enthusiasm. Uh, Nobody has ever seen this. That was at a Trump campaign rally in Las Vegas on Saturday. He's at 56% in the latest Fox News Republican poll, 34 points ahead of Ron DeSantis. And the Florida governor is pushing back. It reports his campaign has stalled, telling Fox... The media does not want me to be the nominee. I think that's very, very clear. Why? Because they know I'll beat Biden. But even more importantly, they know I will actually deliver on all these things. We will stop the invasion at the border. We'll take on the drug cartels. We'll curtail the administrative state. But after Trump and DeSantis, every other Republican White House candidate is far behind in a crowded race for third. We've got a whole crowd of candidates that's in single digits right now, and it's a question as to who's going to break out. We caught up with former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson campaigning in Iowa, the first contest state next year. As I spend time in Iowa, everybody sees that I'm one of the most experienced candidates in the race in terms of being head of the DEA, experience in homeland security, national security issues, balancing a budget as governor and in Congress. And so this record is helpful whenever we face the challenges that we have today. So it's a good response. It's really a matter of me getting out all over Iowa and South Carolina that we just came back from so that people get to know you. They want to know the candidates, and that's what we've got to do between now uh, and the next three or four months. Yeah, this is actually, you're on a deadline for August 23rd. That's when the first Republican debate is, and it's in Milwaukee. How are you in meeting the criteria to get on that stage? You have to be 1% in three polls or two national polls in one of the early states, and you have to have all these unique donors for 40,000. That's right, and we plan on being on that debate stage in August in Milwaukee, and the 1% in the poll that's required, recent polls has us 1%, 2%, or 
depends upon the state, but we're doing very well in the polls, and we want to go up, but we qualify for the debate in that sense. Okay. On the 40,000 unique donors, that's a big lift for coming from a small state like Arkansas. We had 3,000 donors when I ran for governor, so we've got to really up that. We've increased it, increasing in hundreds and hundreds every day. We're not there yet, so everybody needs to help us out at asa2024.com because we want to make that goal, being on the debate. It's really important to hear from the candidates, their different perspectives, and my vision uh, for America. Yeah, that debate stage is vital for, as you mentioned, a lot of the candidates who are in the single digits. If you didn't get there, then what? Oh, we're planning on getting there. So that really uh, hurts you in the sense of the Republicans, voters, want to see the candidates going at each other and contrasting their views. And so if you're not on the debate stage, obviously you've got to have a different forum to get your message out. And uh, it's almost a test of, you know, whether you're serious enough to run a national campaign. Now, I think some of the uh, criteria that uh, the RNC has set is arbitrary. It's it's uh, restrictive and it's designed to reduce the field on the, on the uh, stage. And so that's uh, disappointing, but we're working hard to get there, and we believe we will get there. There is also this pledge that they want candidates to sign, that you will back whoever the Republican Party nominee is for 2024. You've been very critical of former President Trump, who is currently and still the frontrunner by far in this race. Would you support him if he were the nominee? Well, the first question is, is he going to show up on the debate stage? And that's a, uh, who knows. He, I mean, he's yeah. he might not. Yeah. And, and so it seems odd that you would pledge support to somebody who's not even going to participate in the debate or if they happen to win the nomination. Donald Trump is a flawed candidate. Uh, he will bring us to a defeat in 2024, not just for president, but up and down the ticket. It'll hurt congressional and Senate candidates that are running. These are critical races, and I don't see Donald Trump as winning the nomination, even though he's in the lead right now. He's a flawed candidate. You know, whenever you look at the pledge, I expect somebody else to be the nominee, so you sign the pledge and say, uh, let's march on, uh, because I always have supported the nominee of the party, and I certainly want to this year. I expect it to be somebody other than Donald Trump. If you got on the debate stage and you got a chance to go head-to-head with the former president, what would you challenge him on? Well, I challenge him on his record. He spent more. He increased the national debt. And while he did some good things in office, you've got to challenge him on his spending. Secondly, whenever you look at his negotiation with the Taliban and set the stage for uh, withdrawal from that country, even though... President Biden really messed it up. The stage was set for that withdrawal early on in the uh, Trump administration. And then, of course, uh, his weakness on supporting Ukraine, uh, giving unrealistic goals of uh, ending this in 24 hours. And the only way you end it in 24 hours is you say, Mr. Putin, what do you want? We'll give it to you. And so those are the kinds of substantive issues we're going to be hitting him on. And, of course, the other one is... You know, his handling of national classified information. These are our nation's secret. And regardless of a criminal charge or not, the fact is he used our nation's secrets to entertain people, to show off, to feed his ego. 
this is not reflective of a commander-in-chief that we need. And so you don't mince words about it. This is not the direction we need, and he would hurt us in a fall election. He pleaded not guilty in the 37 criminal charges related to the classified documents. His poll numbers seem to have risen since he was indicted in that case and also in a separate state case out of New York. Is that frustrating to you to see him do better after that? Well, it's frustrating because, you know, you can't minimize the seriousness of uh, the charges that have been filed by Jack Smith, the special prosecutor. Now, obviously, I understand the frustration with the New York case. It has all the smackings of politics, and that gives people a sense that our justice system is not fair. It's targeting people versus going after the facts. And that's why we do need to have a reform of our federal law enforcement agencies particularly. But you've got to separate the errors in the Justice Department from the seriousness of the allegations in reference to handling classified information. Uh, He's brought these challenges on himself because of his ego, because of of that he doesn't care, believes he doesn't have to follow the law. And so there should be a level of accountability. While all the Republicans running to unseat President Biden in the 2024 election campaign, he's overseas in Lithuania, attending a NATO summit starting today that'll focus a lot on supporting Ukraine. Former Vice President Mike Pence, who's also running for the Republican nomination, just went to Ukraine late last month and is critical of the president, telling Fox. Frankly, he hasn't explained what our national interest is in Ukraine. He gives these gauzy speeches about democracy. But look, our interest there is to give the Ukrainian military the means to repel Russian aggression. This is a straight-up Russian invasion. Asa Hutchinson agrees and wants the U.S. to do more quicker. President Biden has done a good job of bringing the European community together in support of Ukraine, which is in their best interest. The challenge that uh, he has faced and has not performed well on is he has been slow in making decisions as to what level of support we give, and that's hurt the chances to have a quicker victory there. In terms of this NATO summit, this is an important meeting to continue making sure NATO is doing its job in supporting Ukraine. The test as to whether Ukraine joins NATO, this should be reserved until a time in the future because we've got to be able to show the strength of Ukraine actually winning on the battlefield. Now's not the time to uh, invoke an Article 5 portion of NATO because that would involve U.S. troops, and I'm not in favor of that. Governor, our economy has weakened lately, although inflation is coming down. What would you do if you were president? How would you handle the economy, say, differently than President Biden's doing or other Republicans might be proposing for 2024 and beyond? Well, the key is controlling federal spending, and uh, that's a major part of my initiative because federal spending is what has led to inflation, higher costs in the grocery store, the uh, excessive federal spending ultimately is responsible for the higher interest rates that we see. So it starts with controlling federal spending and moving toward a balanced budget. This administration and President Biden goes down to South Carolina and brags about the fact that, uh, you know, jobs are going up. Well, coming out of a pandemic, jobs are going to go up. 
But the fact is that we have high inflation, high interest rates, and a slow growth economy. I would change that by reducing the federal non-defense workforce by 10%. That sends a signal we're going to be shrinking government versus expanding government in the non-defense area. We're going to control spending, and that's the key part of uh, reducing the inflationary pressures that we have right now. The last bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, which was $1.2 trillion, if there's money in that pipeline that can be withdrawn successfully, it ought to be done. All right, again, about six weeks before that first debate that you're trying to make the stage, how can people, again, find you online and maybe even be one of your donors? Well, uh, it's asa2024.com, and a dollar is a donor. And so give what you can, but asa2024.com. We need thousands more, and uh, appreciate everybody uh, going to our website. Well, good luck to you, Governor. We appreciate it very much. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, one of the Republicans running for president in the 2024 campaign. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is David Marcus with your Fox News commentary coming up. After the Supreme Court's decision ending affirmative action policies at the country's universities and colleges, some people like Donald Harris, Associate Dean for Academic Affairs at Temple Beasley Law School, had some questions about implementation. Does it mean now that we have to do away with all diversity efforts at the school? Um, Or is it simply the admissions process? Can we no longer say, check this box for race? And can we no longer ask what their race is? If, if it's that limited, then then I think that there's hope to move forward. But they weren't the only ones with questions. Some employers began to wonder if this decision could impact them, even though this ruling pertained to colleges and universities. Corporations small and large have certain policies in place that relate to diversity. Former Deputy Assistant Attorney General John Yu told Fox's Neil Cavuto employers may want to reconsider some diversity policies. The court is going to be vigilant to make sure that anybody receives money from the government, anyone covered by employment laws, lives up to the principle that the law and our constitution are colorblind. What many corporations and institutions of higher learning do share are policies like diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI. And ahead of this court ruling, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, now running for president, banned colleges and universities from spending state dollars on DEI programs. Uh, DEI is is better um, viewed as standing for discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination. And that has no place in our public institutions. Those public institutions and private institutions may fight back. Some may retain their DEI policies as they stand, but some in employment law may also urge them to reconsider. I do believe that what they're saying in the court, Justice Roberts and Gorsuch and the general sentiment, is to ultimately extend the principle of this ruling about race-based decision-making to private employers. Labor and employment attorney Stephen Paskoff is the founder of workplace training company Eli. I think employers see that coming and are trying to figure out how to build diverse workplaces, but do it in a way that is also at the same time 
legal. And right now, it would be illegal or unconstitutional, rather, to have, say, a quota system at your private company in which you have a goal to hire a certain number of folks of one race or another race or one religion or another religion, right? That would not be allowed. Well, goals and timetables are typically, at least from what I know and recall, connected to affirmative action programs. And what those are supposed to do is to take a look at availability of people from different groups and organizations then try to see, are we living up to what's available in our workforce or not? But they're not supposed to, at least to my knowledge, absent extraordinary circumstances that are likely not going to be held up to make decisions purely on race to put certain people in certain jobs, period. I, I think I'm under the impression, as Gorsuch wrote, as Justice Gorsuch wrote, that that isn't allowed now. That you, you can't just consider, like in affirmative action at Harvard and, and North Carolina, you could make race a factor in your admissions consideration, right? What is it now in, in the corporate world? You can't make race a factor for hiring. I would say you're right about that. But it in practice is a somewhat blurred way it's handled. Organizations mm -hmm. typically are looking to make sure they're diverse in terms of representation and do it in a way, though, that doesn't say we're hiring this person right now because of their race. Okay. So in the wake of this ruling, what are companies being advised to do? What would you advise a company to do following this, this ruling that we would think applies to schools and universities? What I would say is you should make a decision. Do we want to assume that the same kind of com or the ruling rather that was handled in the university cases is going to one way or another wend into the workplace? And if so, let's start right now by figuring out and looking at our systems to make sure that they do not directly or even indirectly discriminate on the basis of race. Or some may say, we're just going to wait and see what happens. But you just need to make a decision one way or the other. Talk to me about the decision-making process, because right now most companies, it seems, Fortune uh, 100 companies or 500 companies do have a DEI policy in place. That would be diversity, equity, inclusion. And I saw an article that asked if many of these companies were just checking a box by having such a DEI policy. But in your experience, what does such a policy do practically in corporate life? It is all over the place. And... <laughs> That's part of the problem. DE&I was not always DE&I. It was originally starting, from what I remember anyway, in the mid to late 80s, initially talked about in terms of cultural diversity. Then that was dropped and it became diversity, then diversity and inclusion. Equity was added later to keep the acronym from having a fatal three-letter initial, which I'll let you figure out. <laughs> but diversity was designed, I think, to deal with the fact that there were certain kinds of behaviors that may not be expressly illegal, but one way or another resulted in having workforces that favored one group over another. And how you set your policies is supposed to make sure that that doesn't happen, where you can get other qualified people from a range to diversify your workplace. The details are an issue. Some companies do it legally, 
Some companies don't. Some companies have gotten in trouble for making stereotypical comments in training and educational sessions, as an example, about people from one group. And they have lost big losses. And there was a major case, slightly different, but involving Starbucks that had a catastrophic result in terms of liability of over $26 million. You cannot do it in a certain way that is clearly recognized as bias in figuring out where the lines cross is very, very important. Yeah, I guess what you're saying is it can't sort of work in reverse. That I, that inclusivity part maybe sometimes gets ignored or one group ends up trumping another group? Am I reading what you're saying correctly? Well, I think what happens quite often if we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion programs is they focus initially on differences rather than focusing first on commonalities. When you focus Mm. on differences, you can tend to stereotype and also demean one particular group that may have been historically in power. What I think organizations should do is look at what's in common, which is shared set principles tied to their mission, vision, and their behavioral values that need to be activated and applied to everyone. And at the same time, that allows you to look at your selection criteria, that you are being fair, expansive in a way that promotes diversity, in a way that is inclusive in its truest sense, that applies to everyone in a fair way and that accomplishes the objectives that were initially designed when DE&I was conceived. You pointed to the Starbucks case. I wonder if you have any other examples of where DEI worked or where it didn't, especially as you advise. And I'm not asking you to name names of companies. I understand that might be sensitive, but does anything come to mind as a good example? I'm looking at a headline right now with a jury awarding $10 million in discrimination lawsuit where a major telecommunications company leader said that DNI goals led to his ousting. And there are cases that are being filed when the principles of what the law is about connected to DE&I are not being uh, applied, so say the courts and the decisions. If some companies enacted DEI policies, maybe out of fear, maybe they thought they'd be sued or it was a liability thing, um, and, they, and they wanted to be able to point to such a policy to say, see, we're good. Is there some reversal that could happen now? Like, is there a fear that in the wake of this ruling, a company's DEI policy backfires and maybe they think about rolling them back? Well, it's interesting that you ask that because for several years I've been speaking nationally, talking about the backlash and clash when diversity and equal employment opportunity collide. And they collide when they are not looked at together as the same idea. Some DEI programs were started, I think, in good faith, but not recognizing that what they're really about is cultural change and being done in a way that intersects with and is combined with equal employment opportunity and civil rights. When you don't connect the two in a fair way that applies to everyone, you have a collision which can result in a backlash and you have two sets of people who are dissatisfied. One group are the people who say you're not doing enough and one group are the people who are saying you're doing too much. And it's because the balance is not in sync with the overall purposes of both initiatives. That's fascinating. So, you know, on the flip side of this, you know, you have somebody like Florida's governor who signed a law this year 
banning colleges and universities from spending any government funding on DEI programs. And separately, this is the same governor who signed the Stop Woke Act, and it bans employers and universities, as I'm sure you know, from instruction or training mm -hmm. that says someone is oppressed or privileged or whatever based on their race. A federal judge struck that law down, saying it infringes on free speech, but there's an appeals process. Do you think this ends being sort of a counterweight to the affirmative action ruling, or, or does this end up before the Supreme Court? as well, this this particular matter? I think ultimately we're going to have Supreme Court rulings. But basically, when I looked at the Florida law, I don't have it in front of me, but there was a provision saying that it's improper to label a particular person as evil. And I may be paraphrasing, I guess, mm -hmm. because of their birth. I don't know of anyone who is doing training doing that specifically purposely, though I apologize, there are some exceptions now that I think about it, that I disagree with, and that's not really the common thread of all of this. The core idea, though, is, is that you can do this in a way that balances the idea of having people who have the best talent wherever they're from, the best skills wherever they're from, with doing it in a way that does not single out one group as evil and applies common standards of behavior to everyone. That, to me, is what this should be all about. Finally, in terms of impacts to companies and businesses, you know, there are studies, I'm sure you've seen them, from states like California that have not had affirmative action this whole time at universities and schools, and fewer minority students attended these, these universities. Do you think there will be an impact to the crop of potential hires that corporations have to consider moving forward? What I think employers are going to have to do is to think about what it takes to make someone successful differently than they have. Because quite often, I think some of the standards they have used may be what's called in the law, uh, you know, fair on the surface, but unfair in practice or illegal in practice. And that's a core principle of what has guided employment discrimination over the last 50 plus years. If you say you have to have this requirement or we're going to favor you, the question might be, well, do you really have to have gone to this school to be outstanding? And there are studies that say you don't. I think they're going to have to expand their horizon and still look for the fair talent to make sure they're being consistent with legal principles and those of diversity. Attorney Stephen Paskoff, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to meet your audience. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. David Marcus. What's on your mind? In Kensington just north of Center City in Philly, an American tragedy is playing out as lives are crushed beneath the deadly weight of heroin and fentanyl. There you see the hollowed and haunting eyes of Americans forgotten by their government who mill about if they can stand in a state that more resembles death than life, for blocks on end, simply misery. There is perhaps no city on earth more associated with corruption than Philadelphia, where kickbacks are a hobby and graft is nearly perfected. Such has it always been. But there's always been a deal, or so it seemed. The Democrat Party and their allies in the unions would wet their beaks, but in exchange, social order was maintained. That deal, as Kensington makes clear, is all but over. 
As we arrived at the forsaken neighborhood, a young man was sprawled on the ground, his shock of red hair and scraggly beard matted, and he did not appear to be breathing. Do we call 911? I asked my cameraman. We agreed we should after a brief discussion. And as we waited, a small crowd gathered. One kind woman, also clearly on drugs herself, ran off to see if she could find some Narcan. As we waited, I met Andrew, a young man about to graduate high school who's new to the neighborhood. He told me, it's nice, but there's so many addicts and, and we don't know what to do about it. When I asked if the city could be doing more, he told me, maybe, but a lot of these people don't want help. About 15 minutes later, the ambulance pulled up. By that time, the young man on the sidewalk had regained something resembling consciousness, his hand gently scratching the open sores on his neck. Casting an accusing glance at Andrew, the paramedic barked. Did you call this in? No, the young man protested. I did, I said. He wasn't moving. I couldn't tell if he was breathing, almost forgetful that I was describing a human life. The EMT guy sighed. He pointed down the street to the sea of prone bodies as if to say, that's everyone here. It was hard to blame him. Making our way down the block towards the elevated train overpass, you could see what he meant, the slow motion tragedy of people with loved ones somewhere who barely seemed awake or alive. We all know there's no easy answers, but in Kensington, there are no answers at all. Aside from two beat cops, you know, which in fairness is more than I've seen in places like San Francisco and Los Angeles, where there was no semblance of city government. It was as if this place is meant to be its own kind of prison or asylum where the destitute addicts are simply left alone to wither and to die. Am I standing in the greatest nation on earth, one has to wonder, amid the dark squalor and pain? It sure didn't feel like it. But in the big stone buildings just down the road where the city's politicians and elites play business as usual with the public's money, this problem might as well not even exist, nor the lives this problem crushes. It is what it is, and nobody, it seems, has the will or the means to fix it. I'm David Marcus, author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, everyone. It's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.